Hi, this is Dahlia Lithwick, host of Slate's legal podcast, Amicus. If you're listening to this show, you might be interested in Amicus's live show that we're hosting in Washington, D.C. on Tuesday, May the 14th. My colleague, Mark Joseph Stern, and I will be talking to some amazing guests, including Sherilyn Eiffel and a sitting state Supreme Court justice all about how originalism, a relatively recently invented way of interpreting the Constitution, has taken over the Supreme Court and radically reshaped the law. It's been doctrinal rocket fuel for the conservative legal movement and facilitated the rolling back of abortion rights, the expansion of gun rights, and the obliteration of the separation of church and state. And as another wildly consequential Supreme Court term careers to its end, the court's originalists are on a tear. But there's something you can do about it. And we hope you'll join us in D.C. on May 14th to explore the possible pathways out of the current situation. Go to slate.com slash amicus live for tickets. Just a heads up that this episode contains a discussion of sexual assault and sex. It's a fascinating and even hopeful conversation in a lot of ways. But of course, we understand that this episode isn't for you. And we'll look forward to seeing you same time next week. Someone saying, may I kiss you is like, what is unsexy about that? You know, it's it's um, it's wonderful. And it's also a very empowering, I think, litmus test. Welcome to How To. I'm Amanda Ripley. Today we're going to try to see if we can make sexual consent sexy. (laughs) Is that even possible, you might ask? Well, we're going to find out. Can you ask for consent without ruining the mood? Can you continually negotiate boundaries, even if they change in real time? And finally, can you heal after an experience that you really didn't consent to? So I think, you know, unfortunately, like a lot of people, I've dealt with sexual assault multiple times in my life. That's our listener, Julia, in New York. Unfortunately, stories like hers aren't as rare as we'd like them to be. More than one in three women and one in four men have experienced sexual violence involving physical contact at some point in their life, according to the CDC. And around 80% of those who report sexual assault knew their perpetrator, which was the case the first time this happened to Julia. The first person was someone I trusted, someone who my parents knew, who was um, around like four or five years older than me. And it was someone I hooked up with when I was 16. And at that time, that was consensual. And then um, a few years later, I met up with him again and uh, told him I was in a relationship. And, you know, he said, don't be presumptuous. And I was like, oh, how silly of me to (laughs) assume that he, you know, wanted to hook up with me. And then we had this experience where he like, tried to have sex with me, tried to hook up with me, like, as I was, you know, resisting. I ended up, you know, pushing him off, and I felt very, you know, good about myself for for doing so. And so after that happened, it was just, like, this kind of gross experience where, you know, afterwards he really enthusiastically greeted my dad, who was picking me up, and it was just a really jarring experience. And, like, now I I can call it sexual assault. At the time, I did not. 
There's actually some evidence that people who are sexually assaulted as teenagers are more likely to be assaulted again in the future. For Julia, she had a second awful experience, this time in college, a few years later. He was just someone who was predatory. I got, like, you know, way too drunk at a party. He had at his place. Um, I wanted to, like, you know, go to the bathroom to throw up, and he led me to his bedroom, and he sexually assaulted me. A few years later, before she graduated, Julia decided to actually meet up with the guy and confront him in person. I knew that it was kind of, it was definitely an emotionally risky move, because if he didn't react well, it could kind of be difficult to deal with. Um, But I sort of just like sat him down at this cafe and and thankfully he he listened. I mean, he was just, he was there. He didn't interject to me while I told him why what he did was um, wrong and In my mind, I was just, you know, like, if this could lead to him pausing for a moment before making a similar decision in the future, to me, that felt like it was worth it. And, you know, he seemed understanding. And so that is the most, like, closure I've ever gotten from this type of situation. As you might imagine, after both of these traumatic experiences... Julia had a pretty complicated relationship to intimacy. My body was just not sexual at all. Sex and my sexuality like used to be a really like liberating and free thing for me. Like and I always sort of prided myself on being sexually open and I can talk about these things and um kind of spontaneous and of course like using the precautions that I knew of um but it it just became this really heavy thing for me I want to just acknowledge that this sucks I can hear that you've done a huge amount of work yeah to get to this point and uh that it sounds like part of what I'm hearing is you want to get back to who you were in some ways, right? But you also want to grow from these experiences. Like you want to be free in the way that you once were. I know that I can't really return to the person that I was before these experiences. And I also do know that that person was less aware of like her own boundaries. And so I kind of, I also don't really want to return to that previous person entirely. But I would like to get to a place where sex can be um, just like a really pleasurable, you know, experience and a freeing experience. Um, and it doesn't have as much um, mental baggage. Julia has a pretty strong support system, including a therapist and good friends she can talk to. But she still sometimes wonders how could she approach new relationships and learn to trust her partners and herself? Can she have awkward conversations about boundaries and disclosures in a way that's not just empowering, but maybe even erotic? We brought in two experts to help us answer these questions. August McLaughlin is a health and sexuality journalist and host of Girl Boner Radio. First of all, I just commend you, Julia, for your self-awareness. You just have such beautiful uh, sensitivity and um, this curiosity I'm sensing about 
what could be beyond where you're at now. And I think so much growth comes from that curiosity. And Jamila Dawson is a licensed marriage and family therapist with a focus around enhancing sex and supporting people who are in alternative relationships. I'm glad that you're in that place because a lot of times people do think, oh, I want to go back to who I was. And there's really one we can't, we can't go back. What we can do is create this next, this next iteration. Jamila and August have written a book together called With Pleasure, Managing Trauma Triggers for More Vibrant Sex and Relationships. They have some great insights to help Julia and other people recreate their sex life in a way that's more honest, more healthy, and just more fun. So stay with us. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. On Death, Sex, and Money, we feature interviews with you, our community of listeners, getting honest about uncomfortable things. I developed an illness where it isn't safe for me to drive. A friend once said to me, sex is like air. You don't think about it until you're not getting enough. This is a similar sort of thing if you just replace sex with driving. Listen to Death, Sex, and Money wherever you get podcasts. So we heard from Julia that she wants to get to a place where sex can be pleasurable and freeing again. We'll talk about navigating consent and boundaries, but first, a question from August. One question I had, and and 100% don't feel like you need to share anything about this, um, but I am curious about your relationship to solo play, self-pleasure, mm-hmm. masturbation, um, especially because you're you have a lot of questions about pleasure in your body moving forward. Um, Is there anything you'd like to share about that? I am definitely a big fan of vibrators and, you know, all of the sex toys. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Pro all of that. Um, I think the majority of mainstream porn that's out there is, like, really, really degrading um, and then also really racist. And I grew up watching it, you know, and so I had access to it. And so I think it was really formative to my idea of what sexuality is. I put most of the blame on, like, you know, the sexual assault I've experienced in the past. I put most of it on the people, right, as I should. But also I do, I feel resentment towards this kind of this culture Mm -hmm. of porn that normalizes a lot of things. I think yeah. I didn't know what it would be like, I guess, to be sexual without doing mm. certain acts or without, honestly, like there being an element of um, being degraded in some way. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm glad we're, ge- we're talking about this because I, this too is something that I think we don't talk enough about. And, you know, mm-hmm. um, I mean, I think so many people, uh, this is their first exposure now to sex. Right. I mean, most people, 
yeah, everyone. Let's yeah. say everyone. I'm going to yeah. go with everyone. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, at this point. Yeah, and right. starting, I think the average age is 11, but could be younger. Yeah. Um, so I'm curious, Jamila and August, is there good porn? Is there like another option? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The short, short answer is yes, there is. Yeah. <laughs> I think a lot, like a generation of young women grew up with this idea of like being sex positive meant being down for so many things. Um, and so sex positivity is this idea of approaching sex in our bodies with curiosity and this idea that it can take different forms. You know, I've seen so many women of like, oh yeah, like I can swallow and I can do this, that, the other thing. And my question is always like, well, do you like mm-hmm. that? Mm-hmm. Do you actually like that? Because if you don't, you're you're now trapped in like, you're not down. Mm-hmm. We're just being dissociated from our own sexual experience, mm-hmm. our own erotic experience. Um, there's also a site called The Clit List. It was designed with survivors of sexual assault in mind, mm. um, hmm. which is can be a really empowering thing to know that that's the community, you know, that you're a part of. And, and they try to, I mean, anything can be, whether you use the word triggering or activating, when mm. you've been through an assault, it could be a, a basketball that's in porn. I mean, it could be anything. Yeah. But as you were saying, a lot of the things that maybe feel demeaning would not be so present there. Um, and if I could share just a quick anecdote, an example of that gap you're talking about between real sex and like porn sex, I had a listener of my podcast write in to me saying that she and her boyfriend had both been engaging in anal sex frequently. And then they found out that neither one of them was into it. And they only, <laughs> they were assuming because yeah. of the porn they were watching that everyone loved it. And they were so relieved once they had that conversation to go, oh my gosh, you mean you don't really, oh my gosh, you also don't really. Um, so it's definitely this big gap. And so I want to also validate those feelings, those mixed feelings. So that's our first insight. Rediscover what's actually pleasurable and arousing to you and what's not. This is valuable intel that you can share with partners later on. And let's face it, there's a lot of terrible porn out there. So look in alternate places. And if you do stumble across something upsetting, here's one thing you can do. We cannot underestimate how um, critical it is to let your body know that it is still alive Mm -hmm. and can move through to the next moment. And um, we underestimate the impact of just breath, of like breathe long enough so that you can notice that something is happening and then something you can either stop the thing, meaning like if you're, you're watching porn, for example, and a feeling, a bad feeling comes up, like giving yourself those, that breath or those two breaths that tells your body, A, we're not going to die because it feels like sometimes we're going to die. Mm-hmm. Um, and then giving yourself space to make the choice that you want to make in that moment. And sometimes taking orgasm off the table for a little while, yeah, or maybe just some of the time. I'm all for just getting off with your vibrator. I think that's wonderful. At the same time, if you're looking to explore your body's capacity for pleasure, maybe Mm -hmm. experience some healing sensations or see what it feels like to masturbate without porn, I know that a lot of folks in like their 20s and teens when you say masturbate or solo play or self-pleasure, they don't imagine it without porn. Yeah. So sometimes mm-hmm. just trying, like say, I'm going to take five or 10 minutes and I'm going right. to just be with my body 
I'm going to put lotion sensually on my body. I'm mm-hmm. going to read something really sexy and maybe take a feather and move it over my skin and see which parts of my body might feel erogenous um, just to slow down and to, and to take that breath in that case too, I think can be really helpful. Yeah, I feel like rediscovering like what actually brings me pleasure does seem like something that would be important. Um, And I also think that that has been limiting in relationships I've had, where I'm, I'm like, this is this is the one way I like to do it. Um, And so that doesn't leave a lot of room for exploration. But like doing that on my own time, I guess, just like by myself um, does sound um, different. Yeah, yeah. And no pressure to do anything, but just explore. Um, and same with when we're we're having sex with another person. Um, I'm just gonna come out and say it that like most Americans having bad sex. <laughs> I'm just gonna say it. But I, I'm seeing more and more people be very curious about sex being exploratory. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's you know, getting involved in sex positive communities, um, get like being kind of clear on our um, like dating profiles and stuff of love to negotiate, love to talk about and build together what we're going to do together. Mm. Um, because there are truly like wonderful sexual partners out there and it does take sifting. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll talk about the gray areas of sex with partners and how to communicate without killing the mood. Don't go anywhere. If you rely on how-to to help you talk about hard things, the best way to support this show is by joining Slate Plus, Slate's membership program. Signing up for Slate Plus helps us help all the people you hear on this podcast every week. And members will never hear another ad on our podcast or any other Slate podcast. You'll also get free and total access to Slate's website. So I hope you'll join if you can. To sign up, go to slate.com slash howto plus. Again, that's slate.com slash howto plus. Thanks. We're back with our sexperts, August McLaughlin and Jamila Dawson. Last year, our listener Julia was single, newly arrived to a big city, and ready to put herself out there. So she went on a few dates with one particular guy. We had sex a few times, and it was fine. And it was just this last time um when he just took it too far and um it just he ended up like like choking me very hard to the point where i got um like bruises and it was in, in the fight flight freeze it was definitely a freeze situation um so in the aftermath i really was upset at myself for not saying more because it definitely started off consensual. And then at a certain point, something was triggered within me and I no longer felt able to say anything. And mm-hmm. I remember leaving and and call, calling my friend who like, thank God was very supportive mm-hmm. and very validating. I love him. Um, mm-hmm. And he 
completely validated my experience and I feel like it's so lucky to have you know that first point mm. of contact afterwards be a really you know mm-hmm. helpful mm-hmm. one and so and and for mm-hmm. this guy I just blocked him on everything um and just you know that was how I dealt with that Julia left the experience kind of blaming herself and wondering is it possible to make consent an ongoing conversation with your partner That way, you could change course in real time if things stop feeling good. Not long after that, Julia, who is bi, had sex with a woman who showed her exactly what that might look like. She just kind of checked in with me throughout the whole process. And so every step of the way, she was like, do you like this? You know? And so I think she did a great job. I think sometimes when people are like, you know, talk about consent, they're afraid that it means, like, stopping the sex to be, like, <laughs> you know, stopping the right. flow to be, like, do you consent do to you, this? Right, will you sign <laughs> yeah. this four-page um, right. document? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Yes, exactly. Here, here, here. <laughs> initial, yeah. just initial, no. that's fine. Right. Yeah. Yes, right. fax it. Try, exactly. Right. Yeah, so she really pulled off, like, you know, asking for consent while being sexy. <laughs> um, and mm-hmm. it was just a really... Um, lovely experience. Jamila or August, are there ways of thinking about consent that maybe would be helpful or tips for how to do it while keeping things lovely? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, I love what Julia brought up about boundaries and consent being this sexy talk because it really is. I mean, if you ask a question or you approach consent and the person doesn't take it well, then you get to move on and and not deal with, you hmm. know, something going awry. And so I think we can think of that as like a muscle and and work it, you know, step by step. And mm-hmm. if this person is going to just shut me down, then what else would they shut me down for? And so it feels scary. And that's natural. And And I also think it's important to know that if something feels awkward, that doesn't mean it's not going well as far as your consent talk. It's something that we have to build muscle memory about, I think. So even talking through these things by yourself, yeah. say it. Like mm-hmm. sit down and have yeah. a pretend date at home. It's kind of like self-pleasure, but self-consent play, <laughs> you know, where... Love it. Let's make it a king. Let's yes. do it. I, that's I kind of that. giving me a little... Yeah. Right? Yeah. Right? I'm like, like oh, hey, self in the mirror. <laughs> <laughs> what do you want? <laughs> yes. I cannot tell you how many adults are nervous about saying, like, vagina, penis, oral sex, anal sex, like, just learning to say the words, learning to say... I love having my back stroked. Mm. Can you start with that? You know, and sometimes having just a few things that we really like and then asking that the other person, what are two or three things you like? And then going from there, but just that practice. Here's our next insight. Practice communicating what you want. It may feel silly at first, but the more you practice, the easier it gets, just like with anything else. In fact, Julia's been doing this to some degree already around something we haven't mentioned yet. She recently contracted herpes, which is actually pretty common, but that's now another awkward conversation she has to have with potential partners. It's it's been interesting 
I guess now the main thing that I think about before meeting someone is, okay, when am I going to tell them I have herpes? How am I going to approach that conversation? Um, by the way, like before this goes any further, I just want to let you know that I have herpes. And if you have any questions about that, um, I'm happy to answer it to the best of my abilities, but wanted to be transparent. So that's my little spiel that I have um, worked that's out. Brilliant. That sounds <laughs> yeah. great. Um, that re- like truly. What, what is the energy? Like I hear confidence and like mm-hmm. being assertive. What is the energy you're feeling or trying to feel in those? I'm trying to feel those. I'm trying to feel those things. Usually I like hype myself up if they go to the bathroom. I'm like, all right, okay. Um, <laughs> uh-huh. like, we are hot. We are giving this speech. Um, <laughs> if you're still working on your own hype speech or figuring out where to start with boundaries, August suggests trying a yes-no-maybe list with your partner. It's fun because it turns it into kind of a game. It basically lists activities and then columns, yes, no, and maybe, and you both fill them out and compare. And the no is really, it could be a no forever or it could be a no not for now, and either way it's fine. It's just we're getting together on, say, Saturday. Why don't we both fill this out? And the cool thing about that, too, is it also builds anticipation. Which is sexy. sexy. Yes, mm-hmm. it's so sexy. <laughs> Sometimes it's like the sexiest part. Julia, yeah. what are you thinking hearing that? Could you imagine doing anything like that? I can. I like how there's a maybe section as well, you know? So it's not yeah. just, like, black and white. Um, there's mm-hmm. room for like exploration with another with another person. If you're not sure that you like something, then it's totally okay to say that. I don't know if mm-hmm. I like this. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there can be language around the, the murky parts because um, the best sex happens in kind of those things you discover with yourself or with another person. Mm-hmm. Um, and awkwardness is par, you know, I wish I want people to have more good, awkward sex. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I love that term. Well, I like the idea of, like, expecting awkwardness as opposed to assuming that's a sign of failure, right? Like, probably if we're actually trying to get consent and we're actually trying to be, you know, have boundaries and communicate, it's probably going to be awkward, right? I don't see another... (laughs) I don't see another path. So here's where we need to be real. Boundaries and consent work when partners are equally willing and able to communicate. The responsibility can't fall on just one person. I do, you know, wish that there was more uh, emphasis put on the people perpetuating um, the assaults. Yeah. It doesn't seem hard to imagine that uh, people who have done this once are going to do it more. Um, Mm -hmm. And what it sounded like what you said in your own story is when you were able to, you really, you sat that guy down and you were still pretty young at this point in the coffee shop on campus. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you said, this is not okay. I want you to know. And that was a good feeling, right? Like you took that power back. Yeah. I, I closed that chapter. And I think that's part of the reason why that doesn't feel like it has a lasting impact is because I got Mm. a rare amount of closure um, from that. Mm. That kind of closure isn't always possible, but in this case, Julia was able to reclaim some agency and that can make all the difference. 
I think there's a way of doing things to complete a circle that don't have to be cruel, mm. but close close the circle of you had an impact on me, person who assaulted me, and I am going to let you know that you had an impact on me, and I'm going to let you know what that was. For a lot of times, though, we don't have, um, we can't close the loop with the person, um, either because they don't want to, they won't let themselves be accessible, or, you know, they've gone off. And in those cases, um, letting, like, sitting with the, the paradox, like, it's okay, we don't have to forgive people who have harmed us. We can, if we so, if we've gone through our own process, but sometimes it's enough to, to either write a letter or a series of letters over time, um, creating your own ritual. Um, there's a reason why cultures burn people in effigy, um, even a little piece of paper of like, this, this is what happened and I'm going to make it done. Mm-hmm. for myself. Yeah, I I love what Jamila said about rituals. I think that's so powerful because this concept of closure can be very complicated and kind of taking it into your own hands can be really amazing. I also would recommend a consent and mm-hmm. boundary focused like preventative focused self-defense class, not because it's the onus is on us, <laughs> you know, that we need to obviously stop attacks, um, but take it for yourself. And so the the class that I really love is called Impact, and they have classes, I think, across the country, and they're wonderful, and they really r- are very mindful of, of consent and assault history. And I do remember going to a big concert after I had taken the first series of of classes. And I was with my partner and his friend, and they went off to the bar, and all of a sudden I was by myself. And I had this moment where I thought I should feel scared because of history. Like, Mm -hmm. I normally would have felt a little nervous in a a quote-unquote normal way, right? Where we just are out in public and something terrible could happen. Mm -hmm. So I need to be very vigilant. And instead I was like, oh, I totally got this. I just, I was so relaxed. I, I felt so safe. Um, and that's just a really incredible gift that, that we can give ourselves. So whether it's rituals or therapy or self-defense classes that work for you, it is important to find ways to process any trauma that's occurred. For Julia, one of her outlets is painting. I typically actually just kind of have this approach where I, uh, this is very specific, but like where I kind of let my hand um, go kind of limp as I'm um, Hmm. painting around a canvas or drawing around. And then after doing that for a while, it looks really um, chaotic and kind of messy and ugly. And then from there, I try to make something um, beautiful. Hmm. That's cool. Cool. Yeah. Uh, anything that like help in the the present moment where you're you're truly doing an act of creation in the present moment uh, that just it's you and your body mm-hmm. is um, it's profound. Here's our last insight: look for ways to stay present and to reclaim some control over your world. 
In Julia's case, she started doing some work in sex education, and she's getting clearer each day about what she wants her future relationships to look like. I would also love to, you know, if I have kids, um, I would love to share, like, all of my knowledge with them when it comes to sex and sexuality. I wasn't raised thinking that sex was, you know, shameful per se, but the silence made it feel like it it was, you know. Hmm. Yeah. And I'm sitting here listening and thinking, why does this feel so extremely likely to happen? And I realize it's because you're doing it right now. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like you're already doing it. Mm Mm-hmm. Do you have any advice, Julia, for listeners who might have dealt with sexual assault uh, and aren't as far mm-hmm. along on this journey? Finding those few trusted people in your life and opening up to them is um, really important. I think like so often we don't want to feel like a burden but like more often than not, people do want to help and want to listen. Um, like if you just think about, you know, you know, if a friend opens up to me, I'm like, oh my god, like what an honor you chose you chose me to open up to. <laughs> like that's, yeah, finding those few people in your life, and also definitely like finding a, a therapist, um, and also kind of use, using that therapist. Um, like, I've had friends who say that they don't share their actual issues in therapy. And I'm yeah. and I'm like, but that's what you're paying them. Like, you got to get your money's, you got to get your money's worth. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Put us to work. Put us to work. Yes. <laughs> Thank you to Julia for sharing her story with us. And to Jamila Dawson and August McLaughlin for all of their wisdom. Make sure to look for their book, With Pleasure, Managing Trauma Triggers for More Vibrant Sex and Relationships. And if you or anyone you know has experienced sexual violence and is looking for more resources, Rain's National Sexual Assault Hotline is a good place to start. The number is 1-800-656-4673. Or go to rain.org. That's R-A-I-N-N.org. Do you have a problem that needs solving? Send us a note at howto at slate.com or leave us a voicemail at 646-495-4001. And we might have you on the show. And if you like what you heard today, you know what to do. Give us a rating and a review and tell a friend. That helps us help more people. How To's executive producer is Derek John. Katie Shepard and Rosemary Belson produced this show. Our theme music is by Hannes Brown, remixed by Mara Jacob, our technical director. Charles Duhigg created the show. I'm Amanda Ripley. Thanks for listening. <laughs>